have you ever said this to yourself? God loves me just the way I am. God loves me just the way I am. You know what? I don't need to change anything. I don't need to do anything. God loves me just the way I am. All my flaws, everything. He just takes me as I am and he loves me just the way that I am. You ever said that to yourself? I mean, you probably have. And here's the thing. If you have, you're you're right. You're right. God loves you just the way you are. I mean, I even remember growing up in church. Some of you, you grew up, grew up in church, you'll remember this. We even wrote a, a song about just how much Jesus loves us and Jesus loves the world, right? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, even the chubby ones, am I right? Jesus loves the little children of the world. Is that not... Is that not the version you guys learned? No. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Uh, that's the version I learned about the chubby ones. You know, made me feel good in my husky jeans that, you know, Jesus loved me just the way I was. But it's true. I mean, God loves you, right? God loves the little children of the world. But let me paint you like a scenario, okay? Let me paint you just a little scenario. Let's say that you went out on a date. Okay, so you went out on a date, you got set up on a date, so you got on ChristianTingle.com and you're like, I'm gonna find somebody. Is that not what it's called, Christian Tingle? Uh, I, I checked with Bo, and that's what he told me it was. Anyway, I must be the, another site. I'm on a roll today, y'all. I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. So you got on, you know, ChristianTingle.com, and you set up a date. So you went on a date and stuff, and this is the first time you're meeting this person. And so you ask the person that you're across from the table from, you say, hey, do you have any future goals? You know, or another way to put it, you know, sometimes we put it, you know, where do you want to be in five years? And the person across the table from you goes, absolutely, there are three things that I want to accomplish in the future. And you're thinking to yourself, my, my. Okay, it's, it's kind of rare to find a, a man or a woman who, who knows what they want in life, but I like this person. They've got goals. They've got things they want to achieve. And they go, goal number one, I want to keep my current job. Goal number two, to not get another DUI. And goal number three is that the next pregnancy I'm involved in is because it was planned. Okay, now, just stop for a second, okay? Let me ask you a question, and this is not a trick question, okay? Would there be a second date with that person? No? There wouldn't be a second date with that person? Okay, I have to throw some shade at you guys. That is super judgmental of you. I can't believe that. I mean, come on, guys. Why is that such a bad thing? I mean, if God loves them just the way they are, why can't you love them, right? Why can't you accept them? What, just because they're trying to stay out of trouble? But here's what you know. You know it's so much more complicated than that, don't you? You know that it's so much more than that. And you're not looking for somebody who's just trying to stay out of trouble. You're looking for somebody who has dreams, who has goals, who's trying to better themselves, right? Here's the thing that you're going to see today, and I want you to keep this tension in your mind. I want you to keep this, this visual in your mind of being on a date with somebody like that. And here's the thing, is even though God loves you just as you are, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. That's what we're going to talk about today. But 
If you're just joining us, if you're new here to Anchored Hope, whatever it may be, we're so glad that you're here. But we're in part three of a series called Address the Mess. And if you're like, man, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't been here, I'm not caught up, you could always get caught up on YouTube, on Facebook, on Spotify, on our podcast, or whatever, the two other parts that are a part of this. But what we've been talking about is every single one of us either are a mess, were in a mess, or one dumb decision away from being in a mess again. Because we've all made messes. We've all all fallen short, right? And the thing is, is what is that supposed to do in me? What is that supposed to cause in me? Because even if you're not a Christian, even our conscience sometimes gets dinged, and it's like there's this standard or there's this ought to outside of you, beyond you, that didn't originate with you, and you don't even match up to your own standards, right? I mean, forget the Bible for a minute. I mean, even when you look at yourself, you're like, I, I'm missing something. I'm, I did something wrong. And we have some you know, ideas of what to do with that. And the confession that we've kind of been making is this. I know a mess when I see one because I've been one. And so we, we try to figure out what to do with this idea, this feeling of I'm a mess. You know, a lot of us in our culture, if we feel like we're a mess, we try to motivate ourselves to get better. Some of us, we feel guilty, but that's not what it's there for. It's not there to make us feel guilty, and it's not there to just motivate us to try harder. The thing is, is that when we look at the, the teachings of Paul in, in Romans, when he got really deep in his theology, he goes, that, that ought to inside of you that didn't originate with you, that's a little bit beyond you, what that is, is that that's the presence of God. And here's what that should do. Number one, when you see all the other little messes of the world, when you look at your neighbor or your spouse or your friend or your coworkers and you see their mess, it should silence you. Because the thing is, is instead of being critical of somebody, you should be compassionate because you've made a mess yourself. And nobody's mess is better than another. And the other thing is, is that it helps us recognize the presence of God. Because when we say this, when we say nobody's perfect, what we're actually saying is, is that there's a perfect that no one is. And C.S. Lewis connected these dots as well. And when he was an atheist and he looked at the world, he goes, man, when we say nobody's perfect, we're admitting that there is a perfect, that we kind of have an idea of what perfect would be. And it's this kind of this thing that we strive for. We'll never actually accomplish it. We'll never be perfect, but there is a perfect that's outside of us and beyond us that we're accountable to, a, a standard, if you will, that we, all, that we all give ourselves to. And so he connected that dot, and he said, well, that's, that's God. And so that's what we've kind of been talking about. What do we do to address the mess? What do we do with the mess that we are, the mess that we could potentially be in? And what do we do with all the other little messes of the world? So back to this right here. What we just said is even though, even though God loves you just as you are, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Here's the thing. God loves you just as you are. Absolutely but he, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And just as we sang that song, Good, Good Father, right? When Jesus came to earth and he talked about God, he talked about that he is king, but when he referred to him, he referred to him as his father, his father in heaven. And he gave us permission to also call him father because when he taught us to pray, he said, when you pray, right, who do you pray to? He says, your father in heaven. So he creates this picture of like, you know, God is our father. He's our parent. And what an appropriate picture because you and I, I mean, whenever you and I think of God, we can come to him 
Even though he's our king, we can approach him like we would our father. And it's so appropriate because you as parents, this this works for you as well. You as parents, you love your kid no matter what. And I mean, and our kids make some big messes, don't they? I mean, we all know some kids, we all have some kids that can make some pretty big messes. But you love them no matter what. But you still love them, even though you love them no matter what, you love them enough to not leave them where they are. I mean, as our kids go from being an infant to toddler, I mean, what do we do? We potty train them, we teach them what's appropriate, we, 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 give them, we go from baby food to grown-up food, right? I mean, why do we do that? They don't ask for it. You don't, you don't ask your child permission to potty train them. May I potty train you now? No, that's not what you do. You go, hey, it's time to stop pooping your pants, kid, okay? I love you enough to not let you poop your pants through kindergarten, so it's time to train you. It's time to push you a little bit because I love you too much to leave you where you are. That continues like forever. I mean, I'm about to be 35, and my dad is still pushing me around, you know, trying to help me develop and trying to tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Why? Because he cares about me, because he loves me. And the thing is, is that as human beings, as creations of God, God loves you just as you are, absolutely. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And there's the thing, is that a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, they remain infants for too long. As a matter of fact, let me ask you a question. How many Christians do you know that have remained an infant. And I'm not really speaking to the Christians in the room so you can judge other Christians. I'm talking about the non-Christians in the room. I'm talking to the people who are having a hard time believing. I'm talking to the people who have been skeptical of Christianity because when you look at the majority of Christians, you do see a bunch of infants. That when you look at Christianity and you look at these churches and you look at these supposed followers of Jesus, you go, wait, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me that I'm going to hell and you're going to heaven because of what? Because you believe in God? Because you go to church? Because I'll be honest with you, when I look at my life and I look at your life, I mean, you curse like I do, you drink like I do, you spend your money like I do, or worse than I do. You give in to your sexual desires like I do. Uh, you treat people, you gossip about people like I do. As a matter of fact, there are areas of my life where I think I'm more Christian than some Christians and I'm not even a Christian. So tell me, what's, the, what's this thing about Christianity? See, this is the thing that's kept me from going back to church because when I look at these supposed Christians and how they look on Sunday morning, but when I see them at work and when I hang out with them or when I see what they do on social media, I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. This is what's kept you from believing. This is what's get made, made it hard for you to believe because when you look at Christians, you don't see a difference between their life and your life. Well, here's what that is. Those are Christians who have remained an infant. Remained an infant for way, 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 way too long. And the problem is what you see, what I see, is that a lot of times what we do is we've, we've taken Christianity and we've kind of watered it down, we've kind of lowered it down to, to this, is that Christianity is mess up, ask for forgiveness, mess up, ask for forgiveness. And that's not what Christianity is. That's religion, okay? 
And some of you, you were taught that. You were taught religion. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, mess up, go confess, mess up, go confess, mess up, go confess. But the thing is, is that if that is what Christianity has been reduced down to, you've done yourself, number one, a great disservice because Jesus has so much more to offer you. But the other thing is that that's not a Jesus that's worth following. Who in their right mind would ever want to be a Christian if all Christianity is is mess up, pray a prayer to an invisible God? Mess up, pray an invisible prayer, or, or a prayer to an invisible God. That's not Christianity. That's not, that's not who we were called to be. Jesus has so much more for us. Jesus wants to make you make your life better and make you better at life. But the thing is, is that every single one of us have to get out of our infancy. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, talked a little bit about what that looks like. So we're going to dive into a letter uh, called Philippians. Uh, many people refer to it as a book, but it was not a book. It's a letter. And this is a church uh, that Paul started and planted. And then 10 years later, uh, he, never, he didn't get to go back, but he wrote letters. And we believe that he wrote several letters, that this is not the only one. This is just the only one that we have. And fun fact, it was the very first church that was ever planted in Europe. And it's found in Greece. And that's where Philippi is. And so at this time, when Paul writes this letter, he's actually in jail. We believe that he's in jail in Rome and that he's probably about to die. And, you know, for a guy who's about to die, who's in jail, who's probably not being treated well, even prisoners at that time, you know, especially since he was a Pharisee formerly, he had certain permissions, and so he probably had a scribe come to his jail, and he said, hey, I need you to send this letter out, I need you to write this, get it to my church in Philippi. And so when we look at Philippians, this is what Paul says. Check this out. He goes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, does that sound like a letter written by a guy who's been in prison, right? I mean, he's like, I pray with joy, and I'm so thankful for you, and man, I'm, I'm so, I, I, th I, thank, I thank God every time I think of you. I mean, it kind of sounds happy in, in, in a way, right? And, and so he, he writes him, and he goes, I thank you. But listen to what he says next. This is so powerful. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work, he says, I am confident. Confident of this. I, let me tell you, there is something that I hold on to, something that I believe. And he says he, he's talking about God, that God has begun a good work. God has begun a good work. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, we believe that, that when we become followers of, of Jesus, that God begins something in us. It's like the rule of the harvest. It's like a, a seed is planted and then it grows, and it develops. It's a work. It's not an instantaneous thing, right? I mean, a commitment, a commitment is an instantaneous thing. When we celebrate things like baptism or a baby dedication, like, those are decisions made. Those are, those are things that we agree to. But once we agree to these things, nothing magical happens. What happens is that there's a good work that begins, and Paul goes, I believe that for all of you who are following Jesus, there's a good work that is happening. And then he says this, and these are two very important words. He goes, began a good work in you. 
in you. Meaning, this is not a behavior modification, okay? This is not, let's go back to that date illustration. This is not, well, I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. I'm just trying to get another, get, not get another DUR. I'm just trying not to get anybody else pregnant. I'm trying to keep my current job. He says, no, I'm confident of something, that God is doing a good work in you. Meaning it starts on the inside of you. Meaning I'm trying to renew your heart. I'm trying to renew your mind. I'm trying to change the way you think. I'm trying to change the way you feel. I'm trying to change your heart because then once your heart is changed, when I begin something in you, that's when all the other stuff comes out. It's out of the stuff that I do in you that I, we can actually see change and things are put into action. And then he goes on. And he says, being confident of this, that it began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's the thing that Paul's saying, okay? He's trying to say, here's what I'm confident of, is that when you made the decision to follow Jesus, he planted seeds in your life, and he is going to begin a good work in you, and he's going to keep carrying it on till completion till the day of the harvest. And it's gonna be able to continually work in you and on you because God loves you so much that, yes, he loves you as you are, but he loves you so much that he's not gonna let you stay where you are. And he's gonna continually work on you and help you grow and make you every single day, he's gonna challenge you, he's gonna push you to be more and more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the thing you gotta understand because sometimes when you hear these kinds of messages, when you hear these kinds of things, you think, well, God's just trying to take things away from me. No, 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 no. Here's what I want you to understand. God is not trying to keep you from something. He's trying to complete something. He's not trying to make your life less fun. He's not trying to take things away from you. That's not what it is at all. He's trying to complete something in you. He's trying to do something in you that would change your life and potentially even change the life of other people. Now, when we talk about this, if you had to like nail a word down to this, okay, maybe even a, you'd probably even call it like a churchy word, okay? What, kind of, what, 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 is, what word would sum this up? And the word is this, holy. We're talking about holiness, guys. Now, I know when you think holiness, I know what you think of when you think holy, right? You think of like a, uh, not even a pastor, but a priest, you know, in a really cool superhero outfit, you know what I mean, with a big old gold chain, you know what I mean, maybe one of those collars. I've always wanted one of those, by the way, you know what I mean? I feel like my big thick neck would be really comfortable in those. But mainly the big gold chain, because I'd look like a rapper, you know what I mean? But like something like that, you know, you think of that, you think of stained glass windows, right? You think of, ah, right, stuff like that, maybe nuns. Okay, which is kind of weird. Don't think like that, all right? But you think of all kinds of things. When you think of holy, you think of all kinds of things. But what you really think of is, is this, right? Somebody who doesn't mess up. Somebody who is perfect. Somebody who's clean. Somebody who's kind of above. But here's the thing. When we talk about holiness, that's not what we're talking about. When we refer to holiness, when we're talking about holiness, and we're talking about what God wants to do in you and complete in you, we're talking about this. We're talking about being more mature and more secure. More mature and more secure. More mature and more secure. That is what God wants to do 
in you. That is what God wants to complete in you. He wants to make you more mature and more secure. So why in the world would you want to do that? Why in the world would you want to be holy as God is holy? Why would you ever want to let God complete that work in you that he started? Because here's the deal, guys. When you're more mature and you're more secure, man, are you better at life. When you're more mature and you're more, more secure, you are so much more confident in who you are, but more importantly, not only do you know who you are, but you know who has you. That's what being more mature and more secure is about. When you're more mature and more secure, you're a better parent, you're a better spouse, you're a better coworker, you're a better friend, you're better at dating, you're better at discerning, you're better at learning, you're better at all aspects of things when you're more mature and you're more secure. And Paul goes, he's trying to do this good work in you. And then he continues on. And he goes, so this is my prayer. So what he's about to tell us is this. He says, so, so, so Philippi, this church, I love you guys. I am so confident that God, he began a good work in you. He's gonna carry it on to completion. He's gonna do this for you. So if I had to say a prayer for you, this is my prayer. This is my prayer. That you would stay out of trouble and keep your hands to yourself. Let it soak in. Yeah, if you don't know the Bible, that's not really what it says, okay? It's okay. It was a trick question, you know? That's what the giggles are for. No, that's not what he says. He didn't say, that's not his prayer. I mean, that's, that's the prayer of the guy on the date, you know, that we were on with from ChristianTingle.com, right? That's, that, that's a, what that guy's praying is, God, keep me out of trouble and help me keep my hands to myself. But you know what? It brings up a really, really, really good question. This is my question for you. What do you pray for you? Just think about it for a minute. What do you pray for you? You know, typically when we're in a small group together and it comes to the end and we ask, how can we pray for you? you know, does anybody have any prayer requests? I mean, you don't even pray for you, right? If I ask you, do you have a prayer request, Nine times out of 10, I guarantee you the person is gonna tell me a story about somebody else. Well, pray for my friend, they're in trouble. Pray for my friend, they're going through something. And then maybe you tell us about the mess you're in, but it's a prayer for get me out of this mess, which I get it, it's okay. That's partly what it's there for. But when you're not in a mess, or when you don't have a friend going through a mess to pray for, tell me something, on a daily basis as you Practice this discipline. As you pray for yourself, what do you pray for you? What's your prayer? Because here's the truth, okay? A lot of times when you don't feel God, when you don't connect with God, when you don't hear God, maybe, maybe you don't feel God because your prayer isn't that God would complete the good work in you. Maybe it's because your prayers are too small. Maybe it's because your prayers are just like treating God like AAA and going, oh, my friend's in a mess, please get him out of a mess. I'm in a mess, please get me out of a mess. But instead of focusing just on the messes and treating God like a superhero and throwing the bat signal in the sky, maybe what your prayers should be is what Paul wished Philippi would pray for themselves. He said this, this is my prayer for you, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. He said, this is what I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would grow. In what? Grow in how you love other people. That the depth of your insight, that as God renews your heart and renews your mind, that it would change the way that you think about this world. That you would change the way you think about what you see. Because here's the thing. Christianity is not about behavior modification, guys. Christianity is not, oh dear God, get me out of trouble. Oh dear God, I need help. Oh dear God, I messed up, forgive me. I messed up, forgive me. I messed up, forgive me. Do you know what that is? That's so Old Testament. That is so Old Covenant. That is so Old Testament. And the people of Israel, when they would mess up and they'd send up a prayer, they were in need and they sent up a prayer. That is done and gone and is obsolete and is no longer needed because we have something better and God wants to do something better in us because he's given us his spirit. He's given us the spirit of God and he's given us this opportunity for, uh, to bridge the gap between us and the Father and for us to begin a good work that changes us, that transforms us, to makes us into the image that we were always supposed to be, that he wants to complete in you and do for you. Paul says, I wish, my prayer the thing I wish you'd pray for yourself is that your love would abound more and more and more. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed about your love? When's the last time you prayed, oh God, help me love better? Probably the last time you prayed about love is you said, God, you better tell them to love me. Tell my wife to love me better. Tell my husband to love me more. They have been very mean to me right? You pray for other people to love you. What about if you prayed how to love people better? When you were at tension with people, when you're fighting with people to say, oh God, I'm really frustrated with this person. Help me to love them. Help, help, help me to take this opportunity. Help me to take this mess and to learn to love them better. Then Paul continues on. He says this, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. He says, because if you would grow in your love, if you would be able to love people better, if you would be able to grow in your insight, what would happen is you would be able to discern what is best and you would be pure and you would be blameless. What he's saying is you would be holy. You'd be more mature, and more secure. So his prayer for each of us is that we would learn and discern. Learn and discern how to love God and how to love people better. Let me give you a benchmark, okay? I love benchmarks. I work out. I love benchmarks. I love redoing workouts. I love testing things and, and, and trying to see where I'm at. Let, let me give you a maturity benchmark or a holiness benchmark, okay? This is a test. A maturity benchmark would be when you can see someone the way God sees them and respond accordingly. 
This, this will test whether you are really mature and truly secure in Jesus Christ. If you can do this, if you can hear somebody's whininess, if you can hear somebody's gripe, if you can hear somebody's concerns, if you can hear somebody in their anger and see past all the anger or all the language they're using or whatever it may be, and you can look through all of that and not just react to it, but see what God sees in them. And you can see their pain. And you can see what they're trying to say, they're just saying it poorly. And you can see their heart or you can see their hurt. When you can see someone the way God sees them and respond accordingly, let me tell you something. Not only will it make you better at life and make your life better, but you have just seen a small glimpse of how Jesus wants you to live. Because that's heaven on earth, folks. That's a glimpse of eternity. That's who Jesus wants you to be because that's who Jesus was for everyone else. And the thing is, is that for so many of us, we'll never be more mature, we'll never be more secure because we didn't let God complete the work in us. Because we wanted to live our old life with our new life. We weren't ready to let the old life die. We weren't ready to let the old life go. And the only way we can start to inch towards that is by learning and praying that God would help us grow in our love. Because following Jesus, following Jesus is not about doing what's right. It's not. I don't know what you were told. I don't know what church you grew up in. Following Jesus is not about doing what's right. That's old covenant that's law-based, that's rule-based, that is not who we are. Because here's the thing, doing what's right is still about you, okay? Doing what's right is still about you because you're doing it for you because of what you get out of it. Doing what's right is not about you. It's about doing right by others. That's what following Jesus is about. Now, what does this even have to do with the mess? You're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, we got way, way, way far away from this whole address the mess thing, okay? Now we went to a whole holiness message, okay? So what in the world does this even have to do, though, with my mess? I'll tell you. It's this. Isn't it true that you rarely make a mess doing what's best for others? Isn't it true that you rarely make a mess when you do what's best for others? It is true. Here's the thing. When you do what's best for others, it's nearly impossible to make a mess. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but like, I, I, but what's the point of, you know, you're a doormat or, you know, you let people walk over you. And you know what, uh, I, I, I get it. That's an interesting thought. Talk about it with your small group leader. I, I, I don't want to give you the answer, but <laughs> you guys can talk about it in small group. But, but here's the thing. It, it, it's an opportunity cost, Right? Sometimes you gotta lay down your sword because you know that that's what Jesus would have done. Sometimes instead of fighting back or defending yourself or doing what you're entitled to do or what you have the right to do, I get all of that. But you gotta remember that when you look at the life of Jesus, it ended on a cross. 
And so sometimes you've got to take up your cross and follow him. And that's just what is required of you. But you know it. You know it's true that rarely you make a mess when you do what's best for others. So my prayer for you, kind of like Paul with Philippi, my prayer for you is that every single day as you pray for you, whether that be your messes or whatever it may be, or if you're in between messes and you don't have anything to pray about, if you would just add this simple line for yourself as you pray for you, Heavenly Father, complete the work you've begun in me. Heavenly Father, complete the work that you've begun in me. Heavenly Father, the good work that you've started in me, carry it on to completion. And in the places where I'm holding back, in the places where I'm holding on to my old life, in the places where I'm staying where I'm at, I'm staying in my infancy as a Christian because I go, well, what's the point? I mean, God loves me no matter what, so I can do whatever I want with my finances. I can do whatever I want with my sexuality. I can drink, I can curse, I can be like everybody else. I can talk about bad about people. I mean, I can be like everybody and it doesn't matter because God loves me no matter what. You could do that and play that game. And when you meet God, that's between you and him. But I want you to know that God loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you are. That he wants to grow you so much further beyond what you think you're even capable of. And he wants to complete a good work in you. But he can't do it without your permission. And he can't do it without you dying to yourself and surrendering your life to him. So we're not gonna do a whole close your eyes and pray with me thing at the end like we normally do, okay? Here's all I want you to do. I want you to stand with me, okay? It's the last thing we're gonna do. Stand with me. And Dustin, go ahead and put that prayer back up. I didn't have this in the script, but we're just gonna read this together, okay? We're gonna read it three times, right? Ready? One, two, three. Three, Heavenly Father, complete the work you've begun in me. One more time. Heavenly Father, complete the work you've begun in me. If you believe that, and if you want that, and again, I tell you this every week, I can't do this for you. You have to want this for you. This is between you and God, not between you and me. If you really want this, you need to pray this prayer every day. In every single day, in every single opportunity, and in every single struggle, let God do the work that he's begun in you. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Next week is the conclusion of this series, so I hope that you come and invite a friend. Why don't you guys turn to somebody next to you, shake their hand, say, hey, I'm so glad you're here, and we will see you here next week.